0: From the studio in Nitro, West Virginia, this is Unreasonable Doubt. It's a podcast about West Virginia University basketball, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Josh Witt, and this is preseason episode four with Mike Kazaza. Very excited for this episode, and let's go ahead and get... Oh. Oh, no. You know what those sounds mean. Oh, it's coming in. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Pomeroy's computer. It's spitting out. It's, it's running the numbers for the 2022-2023 season. Hold on. It's still computing. Uh, that's just a bit. It, it actually computed. That's not actually Ken Pomeroy's computer. Ken Pomeroy's computer has come out with the 2022-2023 college basketball predictions it has West Virginia University at number 73 in the country, good for ninth in the Big 12. <clears throat> I drink it up. Thank you, Kim Pomeroy's computer. Now, the computer is not infallible. Definitely point to Kim Pomeroy's computer as a as a measurement tool. I like the computer's work, but the computer last year picked WVU as number 46 in the preseason and the middle of the pack in the big 12. And as we all know, Mountaineers finished 66th. Well, maybe we don't know that, but the computer finished WVU at 66th and dead last in the big 12 conference. Now think about that, that the worst team in a conference is better than almost 300 teams in division one basketball. Anyways, The computer was wrong last year. So if it was 20 spots off last season, maybe it could be 20 spots off the opposite direction this season, maybe more. Who's to say? But the computer has spoken. The computer also, outside of WVU, it really likes Texas. It has Texas as number two in the country and has Texas as the best Big 12 team. Let's go to the AP preseason top 25. There's no sound effects for that. Not surprising. WVU got zero votes. <laughs> Drinking it up. The writers have Kansas at number five in the country, and they have Kansas as the highest rated Big 12 team. So the computer has spoken. The Big 12 human coaches have spoken. The human writers have spoken. And here's what they're saying. They all agree about the top four in the Big 12. And they all agree that TCU is fourth out of that group of four. And then from there, the human coaches in the Big 12 like Baylor the most, Pomeroy's computer likes Texas the most, and human writers like Kansas the most. And they all agree that WVU is not in that top four Definitely not even in the top five in the bottom half of the conference. Speaking of humans, there's one human who has made an appearance on this podcast, Unreasonable Doubt, in all four off-seasons slash pre So let's make it five. Annual tradition, let's preview the 2022-2023 WVU basketball team and season with Earsports.com's Mike Kazaza NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any five dollar NBA moneyline bet and get two hundred dollars in free bets if your team wins. Check this out: in addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to one hundred percent with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place a stepped up same game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Now listen, can Joe Mazzulla's Boston Celtics, Javon Carter's Milwaukee Bucks, and Deuce McBride's New York Knicks all go undefeated? Well, the Knicks have already lost, so that takes them out. I want them all to win every game. And so you can put up together a same-game parlay with the Bucks money line and Giannis Having over 12 rebounds and Giannis having over 30 points, and step it up! Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, my guest this week is an award-winning sports writer, book author, former college professor, podcaster, Muay Thai fighter. He co-hosts the podcast Country Confidential and writes for Earsports.com. Mike Kazaza, welcome back to Unreasonable Down a podcast about West Virginia University basketball.
1: Josh, about that time.
0: It is about that time. We're, we're almost here. I can't believe it. And this is a basketball podcast, but let's start with a football hypothetical. So let's say Neil Brown was on the ballot on November 8th for another four year term as head coach of the Mountaineers uh, WVU's next three games. You know, this at Texas tech home for number eight TCU and then at Iowa state his record in his three plus seasons is right around five hundred. Mike, would he be reelected by the fan base on November eighth?
1: It's getting off to a really bad start, Josh. Oh, no. <laughs> because I've I've had the similar like hypothetical plan for like that damn day because that's a Tuesday and that's like you got to have something that fills the space before he speaks that day, uh, and like I'm not gonna lie to you, one it's a good idea. And two, like, I've thought about that. Like, how could I do it? Do I do it Tuesday to kill some time before his noon press conference? Because, mm-hmm. like, he- here's the deal. Like, those three games that come up before the November 8th uh, election, if you will, which <laughs> right. I don't know, the referendum on Neil Brown hasn't won at Texas Tech, hasn't beaten Texas Tech, could get an unbeaten top five TCU at home. I I think TCU's going to have their hands full this weekend. That's just me. Um, I would not be surprised if they come in and won next weekend, and then you go to Iowa State, which Iowa State's on a losing streak, but like they're dragging people down into their and into their level and like kind of gator rolling them, and that's not the way that West Virginia likes to play games. And so you figure, all right, can they beat a team they haven't beaten? Can they win at home against a top whatever team or a team that was a top whatever team but now has a loss and perhaps isn't as good as the initial six and zero start suggested? And then, can they stay in their lane against a team like Iowa State, which again kind of drags you into the defense sometimes and makes you play their game? If you look at their their scores, you, you see what I'm talking about there. So, you would have a great what if there, because if he goes three and are like, hey man, they they box left handed, um, you know, you know they they've kind of like played with one hand tied behind their back. They've done something they weren't supposed to do. Cool, this guy's got something figured out. Or if their defense gets better, or if their offense continues to win some shootouts, you have answers in a variety of different possibilities. I think it's a great question so much so that like, I I thought I had something that was novel. I'm, <laughs> I'm furious. <sorry. laughs> I'm furious with you right now. I might, I might press the red phone icon here on the screen, <laughs> but I, I don't know what the answer is. And like, I think it's, it's too early. Like, you know, what, what do they call it? The October surprise. Right. Could we have yeah. an October surprise? Could they beat Texas tech? Could they beat TCU? Could they get back to back? Could they go? zero and four against Texas tech and get embarrassed by TCU. I mean, would that be a surprise even? I don't know. Like, so that's, Again, framed perfectly, wonderful introduction, and I'm just mad as hell about it.
0: Uh, so like men in black, uh, whatever that thing is, to erase the memories of everybody, uh, you're still good to go on it. And I, I have no idea either. It's, it, I've never – this is the fifth coach in my lifetime, and it feels like for me, Neil Brown is riding a wave of get out of here and all right, we really like him. And on, on like each play in a football game—that's for another podcast. Basketball, I'm uncertain. No, no, about... no, no. Let's pause. Let's pause. Okay. Let's do politics. Oh no! Hey, now that's a bad idea. So, <laughs> well, think about this: you
1: gonna... have you have midterm elections, right? Uh huh. And and the the incumbent party is never going to win the income the midterm elections. Well, Neil Brown did. He got like an extension after his second year. and You're like, huh? And now, like, right. you, you see sometimes where like in a midterm election people will they'll revisit their ballot box decision and not just one person it could be a state it could be a half of the country whatever and they'll be like oh is that a good idea well hey that was a great idea and like that's that's where we are right now with this thing and if you're a fan or anybody who has any type of equity in this you're wondering is that extension a great idea because that really and truly is the doorstop right now um, if this thing does go in a situation that could you know, put the administration at, at the fork in the road and say, "Got to do something," but can't do something because you have this massive buyout there. That's a whole other, a whole other dialogue that I'm sure is not intended for basketball podcasts. But I mean, you brought up politics, Josh, so I just want to. <laughs>
0: yeah, I did. For, there like, you go again. The, the third time in in almost five years, I've brought politics up on the podcast. So let's talk about basketball. Mm-hmm. I have. I'm always uncertain, uh, just in life, in general, but uncertain about what's going to happen in the upcoming year. Never more so. I've thought about it. Never more. So maybe Kevin Jones and truck Bryant are seniors. And then there's a bunch of freshmen coming in, but you had the known quantity of Kevin Jones and truck Bryant. This is lots of turnover. I feel more uncertain than ever. Has there been more uncertainty about the basketball team's prospects going into a season th- than this one?
1: Yes, and here's why. In the past, and you've had seasons like this, the one that you brought up, which would have been, what, 2012, I would guess? Right. Is one. Um, I would even say the year after. No, wait a minute. When did they get rid of Hines and, and Brown? That would have been 2015, right?
0: No, so the following year, you kind of... just There's so many people leaving. You have... The next year was first year of Aaron Harris and Terry Henderson and those guys. So it's like a a rolling wave of guys that kind of come in for a couple of seasons and then get out of town.
1: Yeah. So, so to your point that the year after the year, after the final four, um, yeah, there, there's a chance. You got two like maybe all conference caliber players. You have some young guys who, or celebrated recruits, who knows. Right. And then even if you go after they got rid of that, that Heinz, McCune, um, Keaton miles, not got rid of, but those guys all transferred in a wave. And then you had the 2014 team, and you're thinking, okay, like Holton, Staten, uh, Nate Adrian was on that team. I believe that was his first year, maybe. Um, Aaron Harris, Terry Henderson, like there's there's some potential. There became talent. Gary Brown was an older player on that team, but even then, like you have something, someone to look forward to. I don't know what that is this year, so I think that's probably where you and I are kind of uh, bobbing and weaving in the same direction here because. Out with the old and and some bad situations or some some personnel misfits, if you will, in with question mark like we know the players and we are aware of their I don't know, their accomplishments. We can read their bio in the media guide. How does it work? like how does it look? I don't know, and that's the one thing too so for me it, it's it's somewhat appealing because for a sports writer, and this is not the same for a fan, but like the unknown is the story here. And I always root for the story. Sure. So, like, I don't really know where this is going to go, but I know they got a Hall of Fame coach. But then I would say this too like, in those prior seasons we talked about, you could grant a benefit of the doubt. Like, hey, they just made the final four two years ago and they got these two really good players. So, hey, they've recruited pretty well. They got a transfer name Holton, a transfer name And uh, These guys are going to be good players. I guess they'll have been in second season. But so, hey, there's a chance. I don't, but you look at some of the down seasons recently, you know post lists I don't let that benefit of the doubt exist anymore because what have you done for me lately is the name of the game when it comes to that benefit of the doubt or for fans or for media who vote in preseason polls and what do you have you have the ninth place team in the big 12 right now so I don't think that that's a very controversial statement um so again here I go again saying something that someone else has already thought of
0: well no I mean it's but it's just an unknown quantity so let's try to let's try to figure this out a uh, game I've come up with upgrade, downgrade, or break even. <laughs> so let's play, let's play this game for the forwards and centers. So last season they lose Jalen Bridges, Gabe, Polly Polycap, Diamond, Damon Kerrigan, Isaiah Cottrell, Taj Tweet. They pick up Trey Mitchell, pick back up Emmett Matthews, Waggy. Is that right? Big Some, Mo. Big Mo, Sumnik, Jimmy Bell Jr., Immovable, and uh, one of the Josiahs. So that's a long list of out and in, but forwards and centers. Are we upgrade downgrade or break even?
1: Yeah. This is the best way to do this. I did this. I can't find the story here and I'm not going to punch it up and cause I'm not here to promote my materials and everything, but same exercise again, Josh. So here we go mimicking each other, oh, no. but, <laughs> but no, but that's the best way to do this because people forget like when you lose something, you, you bring something in, but you're not necessarily replacing, you know, a, a dollar for a dollar in some stuff, you know? And again, like someone may hand you a $5 bill, but you might be better off with three ones, four quarters, 10 dimes. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like you want your currency to be able to do different things. So, and again, that's, that's kind of a tortured uh, analogy here, but for a guy like Sean McNeil, for example, you swap him out for, I think people would say probably uh, Eric Stevens, right? Stevenson. Sure. I think it's a massive upgrade. And like McNeil may be a a very good shooter, but he's a minus player defensively. If you watch him away from the ball, it did not move very much. Wasn't a good passer. He didn't like get into the offense or get the offense going. Um, And if he wasn't shooting, what was happening? Now, is Stevenson as good of a shooter? Numbers say no. I'd argue that he managed to shoot 40% in SEC play last year with a broken hand, right? Uh, maybe not a broken hand, but broken bones on his hand. So there's something there. But also he led his team in assists. Um, Really tough player, good defender. So if you assign qualities to a player, think of it as like Madden or maybe like 2K, if you will, since we're on a basketball podcast. And everybody's got different ratings for different skills. Maybe the overall is better for one player. Maybe it's close. But if the skills are higher for one player that you're trading to arrive, in matter in, in areas that really matter for West Virginia, which in the backcourt, be hey, can you pass the ball at all? <laughs> that helps. This team uh,
0: definitely needs. I mean, that's yeah. that's from last year.
1: Can you guard? Can you make a shot from the three? Can you drive it and dish it? So maybe they don't have an obvious superior player, but like maybe his collective contributions are better. So uh, that does not answer your question. In the backcourt, in the front court. So let's look at that. Like they didn't get buckets. At the basket last year. Like and from little what little I've seen and from what I've heard, um, you know, there were there were times in the past where a high ball screen from Jordan McCabe, or maybe even last year on the times when Malik Curry looked to pass, Flick it above the rim and see what happens. And I think people famously remember, boy, well, I can't remember the Kansas State game two years ago where McCabe drove and flick it in the air to hmm, um trying to think of his name now, Sandy Njai. Mm-hmm. And you're like holy cow that was so easy why don't they do that five times a game well last year there was chances for it and if you watch like when curry drove the defense collapsed on him so much because it became clear he was going to keep it and try to score a get fouled. but they had chances to flick it above the rim because nobody was guarding the runners and you love to have rim runners so big moa looks like a rim runner um that's an addition i think that that could really work out they got a calibrator right make sure he can contribute the way he's designed to contribute um, he's probably going to be as good of a shot blocker as their best shot blockers were last year so that's an even trade Um, and he's going to rebound, so that's good. They were not great rebounders last year. They did not play above the rim. They didn't. I mean, they were they were, I think, better than advertised and better than realized defensively. When you're talking about Kerrigan and Pollock, didn't keep people out of the lane though. Um, can you do that with Big Mo? I think Mitchell's going to be more of like a stretch four, like an outside four, maybe like I don't even want to say like a three and a half, but he'll definitely be more four than five. He may play the five, but his game is going to be like that. Um, and Bell. You know it's up to him, but so far the up to him, he's got he's done a whole lot with that. Where he's going to be a guy who is either going to get on in the block and box out and rebound offensively or defensively, or he's going to be a guy who gets in the block and just puts his back on you and makes you really work. And he can I don't know maybe he can pass it, he can hand it off, he can flip up a hook shot. Who knows? But again, more collective contributions from a pool of players. Whereas last year it was kind of limited. Like what offensively Kicker can do, zip. What about Polygap? Almost zip. Uh, what about um, Cottrell? Almost zip. Like Cottrell was statistically the worst player in the Big 12 last year, according to the Evan Miyakawa rankings. It's remarkable. You might not believe in that, but someone had to be last. He was last. I don't know how you do worse than what they had last year. So bringing in some new identities with new skills, again, it may be different, but I'm not sure you necessarily want to replace one set of skills for another. You want to be a little bit more diverse. You may want to be stronger in some areas where you weren't. And again, last year they tried some things that clearly wasn't the right way to go. And they're trying to do something like a reset this year, I think, especially in the front court.
0: Yeah. And in the backcourt, not as much movement. And you talked about, and I think that's going to happen all year. The comparison of Sean McNeil versus uh, Eric Stevenson, who only mm-hmm. missed one free throw last year at South Carolina, which is yes. another amazing kind of uh weird statistic, but out goes Sherman, and out goes Malik Curry. And we pick up uh from the from the transfer portal, Joe Toussaint and freshman Josiah Davis. So we won't play upgrade, downgrade, or break even, but the point about passing, I see in the the backcourt a, a major upgrade. I mean, what do you yeah, see yeah. in the in the in the change there?
1: Yeah. So you weren't getting passes from McNeil. You were getting um, you know. I would say, like, one-side offense, because, he, he, again, he just kind of hung out in one spot, didn't move out the ball. And when you're playing a motion offense and you don't put yourself in motion, you're kind of a detriment. So, again, upgrade there no matter what. Um, and, again, like, I don't – who's the Sherman swap? I don't know. Is it Toussaint? I don't I think guess. there is one. Yeah. I, but,
0: but he, as far as – Taz was a – I thought a willing passer, it just didn't seem to work out when he tried it. A willing
1: uh, passer, but they'd much rather him shooting it because they were so absolutely. offensively you know, uh, handcuffed last year. So this to my point, though, um, yeah, maybe you wouldn't call that an even trade, but like, did they want to go get a Taz Sherman? I don't know about that. So you get a guy who kind of fills an need that you had, which was – We need someone who can really hawk the ball on defense, somebody who can play some fast basketball and he can take it off the rim. He can take it on the inbound. He can take it from a forward who grabs a rebound and go and don't let the defense set up because sometimes the worst thing that happened for West Virginia was to back the ball out or just stand there above the line and dribble it and try to run offense and let the other team go. This is pretty easy. So Fast breaks or just like quick offense, that could be a good thing. And if he can get in the paint and do something, that's fine. So, again, that's not an even trade. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I'd be very surprised if Josiah Davis played this year. I, I would think the plan is for him to redshirt. I don't know where his minutes come from. They're kind of loaded and bloated in the backcourt. Right. And if Stevenson's going to play some point, which I suspect he will, he got three guys who can do it and, and, and why. So he can play five games before January 1st and for like, I don't know, 40 minutes and he burns a red shirt. I'm not sure it's a great idea for him. And then, I don't know, he comes back, he, he eventually gets a, a scholarship because he serves a year or does his time, so to speak, here. And, and maybe he's a better player because of it. Physically, I'm sure he could develop Uh, performatively, perhaps, as well. So I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on him playing a lot this year unless they get major injury issues. But we've also seen Huggins break the glass before and pull a player out of a red shirt and see what happens Um, if this year if their offense is struggling on the backcourt. Yeah,
0: exactly. And to have a true point guard, is a I just think it's good to have on the team, and so that's a welcome addition with Joe Toussaint. Um So, I've watching the preseason press conferences, Mike, it, it's been interesting because Bob Huggins. Oh,
1: have, you his, his, have you heard? Have you heard?
0: What addition by subtraction? I heard that today no, in no, the no, Big no, Twelve. No. Okay, go ahead. I
1: no, no, no. oh, don't know.
0: Guys are making say it. Don't say yes. Oh. I did. hear. I did hear that. I didn't hear that today. He said that today.
1: No, I just, uh. that's what people are saying.
0: But <laughs> well, that's speaking of that time of the year, they're making shots, but the, but the, the specific comments besides they're making shots, there's some subtle and not subtle hints. And we've talked a little bit about in this conversation about, you know, Huggins was talking about this team being more competitive, uh, more tough. He did use today uh in comparing last year's team to this year's team addition by subtraction um overall are these comments more a credit to the new guys or is it the huggins dig at guys who are not here that were here last
1: year it's it's a little of each for sure so stevenson is a guy that uh, boy this is is tough to say i don't want to say he fought but he kind of fought at Wichita State a little bit. That was not a happy situation for players who were there toward the end of the Greg Marshall era. He got out, but he was also not happy with his situation there. Got out, went, played a bunch of zone defense out on the West Coast at Washington, thought he was going to be happy back home, wasn't. You kind of get the paddles to your chest when you go and you play for Frank Martin. And I think he would have stayed there for sure if Frank Martin was still there, but he wasn't. He didn't have a place to go when he goes to – I mean, I'm not, I guess it's not Frank, Huggins, Frank Martin light. I guess Frank Martin might be like Huggins light, which – Calling either one of them light is not accurate <laughs> at all. But, like, right. so, like, he goes to the next closest, you know, representation of a Frank Martin, which is Huggins. And, like, because I think he likes that and he can play that way. Two in New York City, and West Virginia has long identified with that with his coaching staff. So I think that there's some edge there that they saw it. Emmett Matthews, don't know. Uh, I, I wouldn't say he was the hardest, edgiest player when he was here, but if he got away from it, went to Washington out in the West Coast, was thought he was happy at home and then realized he wasn't maybe he too stepped to the the old portal and experiences a similar shift that Stevenson does. Um, and then Mitchell is, you know, Trey Mitchell, I don't know about, we'll see. That's a guy who was at UMass. Um, kind of had his kind of like was the best player in the playground in that conference. Did some stuff that very few people had done before him at that school or in that conference. So there's something there, but it didn't go well for him last year. But like, I think, I mean, everybody at Texas kind of went out of the way to say like, it wasn't like a broken rule thing or a broken law thing. It was personal issues. So if he gets his personal issues sorted out, I mean to go through stuff and to come out on the other end of it. There's probably a hardened edge to you there too. So just those players are good, and you get two junior college guys who, if you go through junior college, as as Huggins has said, you you sit in the van, you eat those cheese sandwiches, and right. you don't have the luxuries you have. Like you, again, would you could you keep that edge even though that's what it took to get here? But now you're happy about the free Nikes and all the gear and the training table and all that stuff. And the, you know, hey, there's a whirlpool. Cool. I don't know. Can you keep that edge? We'll see. So that's probably some of what he's talking about because they didn't have a lot of those guys last year, even though they had some division one transfers, but he had guys who were like fleeing the situation that, where they had it. Okay. But, you know, coming from I F I U, I don't even know where Kerrigan came F-I-U, from, yeah, coming, right. from yeah, coming from DePaul and like Huggins big thing for them was that they just never saw basketball at the level they were going to play against. Well, that, that may exist for some guys, but not the guys who came from, you know, Wichita state's a major program. It is. Um, And then also South Carolina, Washington, guys who came from Texas, guys who came from Iowa, so that's they're going to be more prepared for this and they're going to understand the challenges of power five basketball. I think Huggins is getting to that. I think if they unearthed the time capsule 29 years from now and talked about the 2021 2022 team, uh, there might be some really good stories in there about NIL and players. Um, I don't know, get mine kind of kind of things. And maybe the hardest player in that team last year was Gabo Saboyan, but that wasn't wired properly. And, you know, look what happened to him sometimes they couldn't play and they suspended him for a game or bench him for a game, I guess, because it didn't work out well for him. So it wasn't a completely congruous situation. But we've already talked about McNeil and you saw some things with Sherman last year, being able to stay healthy and, and then maybe be quite the player you wanted to be at certain times and players who left. And if you look at some of the players who left as not a surprise, they probably mailed it in before the season was over. And that's very apparent to coaches and, and teammates who were in the locker room with them too. And if you clear that clutter out and you bring in some players who you can identify because they are what you're looking for, they have exhibited what you're looking for. You're naturally going to feel the way that Huggins is espousing now. Yeah,
0: it totally makes sense. And I, I I'm in for those stories 29 years from now in the time capsule. Um, so Rapid fire prediction time Uh go through these uh returners that are coming back. So Kedrian Johnson, Kobe, Seth, Okongwu, Jamel King. Who do you think will make it the biggest jump in production from last season to this season?
1: King is one I've heard about, like just a very confident player on the corner, does his thing, doesn't try to do seven or eight things, knows he's good at two or three and focus on them. Um The other guys will see there's there's a way for them to get there, but. Right now, I just think that the. I mean, also he had a pretty good uh, gold blue scrimmage shoot, from what I understand. I hadn't. I saw the box scores, but I know he made a couple threes. But I just heard he's been very, very pleasant surprise of our shooter. who might be able to rebound a little bit, but just just knows what his role is right now. And and that's the thing that will endear you to Huggins for a long time. Just do what you do. They put on a t shirt at the final four once because it meant that much to what he does. Right.
0: Uh, I ask you this every year, Mike. Give me your predictions Starting five, November seventh. Uh, before election day and opening night versus Mount St. Mary's, who's going to be the starting five?
1: Man, I don't, I really have no idea here because uh, one, let's see who's healthy. Right. Uh, yeah. They might not need guys for that game, but you might want to give a guy a break for another week or so. So let's just say that everybody's healthy, right? Okay. This is fascinating to me because I, I do think that, remember, Huggins has changed lineups. Sometimes he's stuck with it for a whole year, but sometimes he's just changed it based on practice by, Um, The other team's personnel. And I think what's what's the goal of their offseason and what may be something that they kind of reach and try to access this year is that they're not going to get caught in the corner taking punches from anybody. Um, If they're in a bad matchup and someone's doing something to them because I don't know, they can't guard the basket, they can't keep a guard out of the paint, they can't defend high pick and roll, whatever. Um, They can't drive, they can't make threes, they can't shoot inside, whatever. They're going to have some sort of a combination they can toggle and get a better group of five on the floor. I think, for a lot of situations. Will they want Mm to? I don't know. Will they? I don't know. We'll see. But I really wonder if that's something that happens in the game. Like, do you have to take damage before you make changes? Where do they do that preemptively and alter their starting lineups? I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think right now you would probably look – I don't know how they don't play, like, three in the backcourt to start a game. So I would probably think that you're looking Kedren Johnson, Eric Stevenson. But here's my thing. Who's your third guard?
0: With Kedrian out there, it, you don't go to Toussaint, and, right. and you're, you're expecting a a jump for, for Kobe Johnson or Seth Wilson, which I don't know that. That could be. But, like, it screams him at Matthews. But if you're going to three guards, do you put Toussaint and Kedrian out there? I don't know.
1: I don't know. So then, okay, because now I think you could play a pretty good court with a 4-5 or five of Matthews and Mitchell, I just said that Mitchell's more of a four than a five, and I just haven't played in the five to start a game. So that's strange. Now, could you go one, two, uh, let's just say, Kedrian Johnson, Eric Stevenson, three, four, Matthews, Mitchell. That's a huge lineup. Mm -hmm. Is your five Big Mo? Is your five Jimmy Bell? Is it based on who you're playing? So, again, a two-guard versus a three-guard could depend on the lineup, but also the identity of your five if you go with the two-guard could also depend on it. So my, my way of saying here, I don't know, we'll see, but I would definitely say that right now my guess here would be that Big Mo would be your five based on the fact that he can really be complimentary, um, get some rebounds, play some defense. You don't have to ask Mitchell to do a whole lot of that. You have a big three in Matthews, and then you let your one and two kind of play maybe almost as co-ones because Huggins' two is a lot like his one in the motion offense. So I could see that being a situation, but I could also see them really mixing up their lineups, even during the normal course of action. If every opponent was the same and had the same strengths and weaknesses, I think West Virginia would probably mix up two guards, three guards quite a bit, and maybe even how they configure their front court depending on whether it is two or three guards.
0: Makes total sense. Uh, they have a lot of options, and we don't know a lot going into yeah. this season, so that fits a narrative. Uh, a couple more questions. Will this te- Who will lead the team in scoring? If you had to guess today, end Mitchell. of the year, it's going to be Mitchell?
1: I like him getting the free-throw line. I think he's going to be an okay shooter. I could see him being a guy who gets on the block a bunch, but also how many points is leading scorer getting? Like 13? Like this is not a twenty point per game guy like with the Taz Sherman offense, right? So right. it could be it could be a horse race for sure, but whoever may gets like 12 and a half, 13 points could be their best offensive player.
0: Yeah. Uh West Virginia picked by humans and robots to finish ninth in the Big Twelve. Uh you're a human, Mike. Will this team <laughs> finish higher than ninth in the Big Twelve at the end of the year?
1: I have a hard time believing that they're the ninth place team in the Big Twelve. I, I like a plan. I don't know if their plan is going to work. I like a plan. I'm a sucker for that. Like George Papard, Hannibal Smith, A team. Watched a lot of that when I was a kid. So I identify with their plan. I think that just talking to people before it was happening and after the fact, they identified, you know, older players, people who had experience and whatever holes that they felt last year, I think they filled. Will it work? I don't know. It didn't work last year but their plan was different. So at least I like their plan. I don't think they're the ninth place team. I, I could see them middle of the pack. I'd, I'd be surprised they made a rush for to the top of the conference, but that doesn't mean they're not a tournament team. I don't know how many they'll get in, but like conference is loaded this year for sure. A lot of teams recruited well and hit the transfer portal with success.
0: Oh, it's just, it's a gauntlet. I mean, it's humans and robots agreed that, you know, three top 10 national teams possibly, and you could argue, you know, five or six in the top 30 in the country. It's really tough out there, but you can be in the top seven in this league and, and make the NCAA tournament. So, yes, sure. um, so that's my final question. Uh, no postseason, sad postseason, or real postseason for WVU for the 2022, 2023 <laughs> season.
1: Uh, I mean, their, their ceiling is probably like, you know, a plus bubble team, I think. Where I don't know if that means they're off the last four in or like they're the next four in or whatever, but like I would be surprised if they're not breathing into a brown paper bag during some of these March games, just because I think the schedule is very hard. I think they'll take some, some damage in their early season stuff, but they're going to be quality non conference games. You got to win some of them. We'll see. They have a tough schedule for sure. So it could be to their benefit, but you got to win some of them. And if you're a team that's like, 18 and 13, the quality of your 18 is going to be really important. You have a chance to do that in the big 12, but I could see that being late in the schedule schedules. Have you seen all the Saturday Mondays late in the season? Oh
0: yeah. I mean, but Huggins likes
1: that. Huggins likes the take a road trip, get to stay
0: there. Uh, but the frequency does seem to, uh, increase towards the end of the year.
1: Yeah, good thing is that you get some breaks in between your uh, Monday and Saturday games, so you get to work on yourself a little bit, and you could really surge there at the end. They could use that to their advantage. So um, I don't think it's a team that finishes like you know like twenty five and six. I don't think it's a team that's going to be like at the top of the conference or playing like the CBS two p.m. games that determine the Big Twelve championship. Um, I could see it being really meaningful basketball and probably having to go to 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 Kansas City to win one or at least just compete with the other teams who are occupying that same space in the bubble because it's, it's going to be a competitive gauntlet in the big 12. And I just, I don't think they're going to be good enough to have no sweat in their brow at the end. I can see them making it. I can see them being in the NIT, but I can absolutely believe that it. it's going to be like final five games, final two weeks of the season. Yeah,
0: that would be better than last year. So uh, yeah. Mike, I look forward to this every year. Thank you once again for joining me on unreasonable doubt, a podcast about West Virginia university basketball.
1: Let me quiz you. All right. We're talking on Wednesday, right? Yep. How cool was it to see the locker room in Boston last night?
0: Oh, I got, I mean, candidly, I got a little emotional. It was, right? It it was amazing. It just, it's a weird way to get there, but uh, to see that and to picture anybody uh, as a Huggins player to move to first professional win for the Boston Celtics, it was pretty amazing.
1: Done it the right way, too. I mean, betting on himself. Took some obscure paths, like leaving Fairmont State to be a G League coach, right? Um sports have a weird way of uh, returning the favor. So guy who's really gotten himself together, obviously knows the game, um, and and did it the right way. And, and look what happened to him. He's the he's the head coach of the Boston Celtics <laughs> right now. Like the the favorite maybe in the Eastern Conference. Um Man, what a story. It's kind of fun to be a part of it and to be able to witness it.
0: It's fantastic. And to, and to even see him on the second row as an assistant coach, I mean, it's just, that was amazing. But to see that video of, of, of the guy celebrating him and, and all of these top-tier players talking about the credentials of Joe Mazzulla, it's just, it's amazing.
1: Love yep. it. Yep, good for him.
0: Yeah. All right, again, thanks, Mike, for joining me on Unreasonable Doubt.
1: Same time next year, Josh.
0: All right, sounds good. See ya. Big thanks to Mike for joining me once again. The fifth annual Mike appearance. Find him on Twitter at Mike Cazazza, M-I-K-E-C-A-S-A-Z-Z-A. Read his stuff at earsports.com, E-E-R-S-P-O-R-T-S.com. And he's got a podcast with Chris Anderson, Country Roads Confidential. Listen to that wherever you listen to this. That's it for this episode of Unreasonable Doubt. Listen on Apple Podcasts. Listen on Spotify. Just listen wherever podcasts are listened to. You got this far. Keep listening. Hit a follow button or subscribe button. That helps a podcast. Write a review. Rate the podcast five stars. If you see stars and there's five of them, make them all light up. Until next time, I'm Josh Witt. This has been Unreasonable Doubt WBU for the 2022-2023 season. They have zero wins and they have zero losses.